Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm Joey Lovato, the multimedia editor here at the Indie. We hope you enjoyed our new theme song. It's an original by local Reno band People With Bodies made especially for us. On today's episode, reporter Michelle Rendells and Riley Snyder sit down with Bailey Bordelin from Washoe Legal Services and then with Keith Lynham, the president of the Nevada Association of Realtors, to discuss legislation that went into effect related to how tenants can be evicted by landlords. As you'll hear, there are two sides to this story. After that, Michelle talks about a story she worked on with indie intern Trey Arline about an opioid forum. But first, let's read a few headlines from this week's news. From Michelle, a recent report from the Pew Charitable Trust is cautioning the state that revenue from marijuana sales are difficult to predict, so they should not be tied to essential spending such as education. From our education reporter Jackie Valley, teachers with the Clark County Education Association are making plans to strike on September 10th if they do not successfully renegotiate their contracts by Friday, August 23rd. Governor Sisolak and legislative leaders talked with Clark County Superintendent Jesus Hara and union bosses this week to try and smooth things out. From Megan Messerly, we learned that family planning providers are dealing with new Trump administration rules regarding recipients of federal Title X family planning dollars. In a nutshell, the rule will prevent clinics from providing abortion services or referring patients to them except in the cases of rape, incest, or medical necessity. And finally, from Daniel Rothberg, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Governor Sisolak brought up climate change several times during their remarks at the yearly Bi-State Tahoe Summit. To read these stories and our other reports, you can check out our website, thenevadaindependent.com. All right, now on to the rest of the episode. today with Bailey Bordelin of Washoe Legal Services and Nevada Legal Services overall, which uh, kind of provides low cost and no cost uh, legal aid to folks on a variety of issues. One of those issues is evictions. And that's what we're going to talk about today is some new legislation passed in the 2019 session that gives tenants a few more rights in the face of an eviction proceeding. So Bailey, thanks so much for joining us today. First of all, I just wanted to chat a little bit about uh, some of the testimony you guys gave during the session, and that is that Nevada has a really fast eviction process called the summary eviction process. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how that differs from maybe what we're seeing in other states? Yeah, so thanks for having me. I am not aware, and we couldn't find any other state that has a process like summary eviction that we have in Nevada. So basically, when somebody falls behind on rent, a landlord will provide them with a notice. We, in the legal world, call it a pay or quit, because your choices are to pay or choose to leave the property by the time the notice is done. So that notice lasts for about four and a half days prior to this legislative session, which is in line with other states. There are other states that um, do offer you much more time to respond or come up with a plan, but there are states that have similar timelines to us. Where we differ is at the end of that four and a half days that you have to decide what you're going to do with the roof over your head, the court can just summarily order provide the landlord with an order that once that they receive that order, they can evict you within 24 hours. So in all other states, there's a lot more due process that requires a lawsuit to be filed, a hearing to be held on that lawsuit to really make sure that your rights have 
been established that this is there's a valid reason to remove you from your home, et cetera. And so that process takes a lot more time, whereas in Nevada, um, none of that formality has to occur if the tenant does not respond. And we've seen, it sounds like, you know, tens of thousands of evictions happen in Nevada each year. I think the stats that you guys provided was somewhere upward of 40,000 evictions every single year throughout the state. One of the reasons we wanted to talk with you is because of one of your tweets uh, a couple days ago in which you said that with new protections that the legislature put into place this year, you guys have actually seen a reduction in the number of eviction filings for the month of July. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing? Yeah, so we're cautiously optimistic. Of course, it's the first month, but we're hopeful that these numbers are down because of the tenant protections that the Nevada legislature was able to enact that took effect on July 1st. So this July, evictions were down 700 from last month, um, and they were down even more from this time last year, about 900. So there were 2,075 filings this July, but there were 2,700 just last month and 2,900 last July. So that's a stark difference. That's a really low number that we haven't seen before, and we're hopeful that by giving tenants more time, so what we did is we extended that time frame that somebody has to respond to that pay or quit notice to seven judicial days, so days that the court is open, and that gives people more of a chance to catch their breath and make a plan and come up with the money or figure out what they're going to do next, which removes the necessity for the eviction altogether. So we're hopeful that that's why the filings are down. Now, you guys weren't able to get rid of entirely the summary eviction process, right? I mean, this is more about giving people a few more days to respond when their landlord puts this notice on their door, but but judges can still rather quickly, right, uh, uh, give someone an order of eviction. Right. So nothing about the summary eviction process has changed. We never proposed to get rid of the summary eviction process. I, I think a lot of the fear on this bill were on things that weren't actually in the bill. It never had rent control. It never got rid of a summary eviction. But our goal all along was just to give people a chance to catch up. If a social security check had been late, wait for it to come in. Uh, And I think there's an interest there for landlords too that landlords don't want to evict people. It's a costly, long process and they'd rather just continue to have tenants. And this hopefully will allow for a smoother process because you're able to make a plan. Uh, You have a weekend couched in there where you don't need to take off work to figure out how you're going to keep your roof over your head and you can make things work faster. Bailey, can you talk a little bit about, I know it's been a few months now, but the process in which a lot of these protections got added in in the legislative session without necessarily going throughout the whole legislative history, but um, can you just kind of give a brief summary of what happened kind of on the last day or two of the legislature and the the campaign by the realtors and other groups to try and get Governor Sisolak to to veto the bill that put a lot of these things into place? Sure. So I don't want to speak for anyone else, but to the best of my knowledge, um, when the bill was actually heard, SB 151, in its negotiated form and the way by the time we got to those hearings, the bill did have the extended timeline in it. There's one more piece to the extended timeline, just so that I'm being really clear, that you now have 24 hours after you receive notice of the eviction before they can actually physically evict you, which was the process in Clark County, but not the rest of the state. So that timeline piece, which was the biggest piece, that was in the bill all session. 
And the way the bill was heard, it was neutral by both the realtors and the apartment association. And then in the last few days of the session, there was another bill, SB 256, I believe, that did not survive. And the Democrats really looked at what are we accomplishing in this housing crisis? What are we doing to help tenants in these situations? And they had selected a few provisions that had been considered elsewhere and moved them into SB 151. So those provisions that were added were that there's now a 5% cap on late fees, uh, which means that a landlord cannot charge more than 5% of the monthly rent. And it also requires a landlord to give a tenant five days after they've been evicted in which they can retrieve essential items such as medication, baby formula, social security documents, things like that which is a good practice for most good landlords. I don't believe that one was too controversial, but by adding in those additional provisions, it did create some objections from the realtors and the apartment association in those last few days, but it was passed with all of those provisions. Bailey, going back to this, um, giving people 24 hours to get out of the property uh, once they're told, you know, the sheriff or the constable showing up at their door. That wasn't always the case, right? In, in rural Nevada, I think some in some of your testimony, uh, it said that sometimes people would get notice and, and have 10 minutes to, to get out of the property. Yeah, and in Washoe as well. So the law always said you could be removed within 24 hours of the notice, but it wasn't a very drawn out or explained statute. And so The practice in Clark County was that the sheriffs or the constables would knock on the door, tell somebody you're going to be evicted, or leave the note, tape it to the door, and they'd come back 24 hours to remove the family. So there's a little more humanity in that. Uh, In other areas, we did, the Laughlin constable was one of the people who testified to this as well, but in Washoe and a lot of other areas, the sheriff or constable would show up and say, we're here to evict you. We have a lot of things to do today, so you have 10 minutes, you have 15 minutes, and they just kind of wait and remove them in that same trip to remove the need to come back a second time. And so that's really where things get left behind. You don't have time to pack. You didn't know they were coming that day. You can't get your belongings in that that time frame. So this just requires at least 24 hours to give somebody time to pack up their belongings. A lot of what we've seen in this affordable housing crisis is seniors being removed from apartments they've been in for years and years and years and 24 hours probably isn't enough but it's better than uh, some of the time frames that they were being offered before Mm -hmm. and then uh just in wrapping up um i know in the last interim session between legislative sessions there was that affordable housing task force is there anything being worked on either with uh, legal aid or other partners that that you worked on with uh, some of the legislation that passed in 2019 that will continue on um, into the interim period between now and the 2021 legislature? Yeah, I think we have to look at implementation. We have to make sure that there are positive results coming from the things that we hypothesized would have positive results. Julia Reddy, of course, is always working on these issues and I think she's a great advocate here to continue the fight. She is a landlord herself, so I think she speaks with authority that these are reasonable business practices that we're implementing that aren't over the top, that aren't putting us number one in the nation for tenants' rights, but are moving us closer to 
common decency and middle ground. Um, so I think we will definitely continue to see new proposals and see what we can do to help renters, especially as rents continue to go up. We haven't really seen a break there. Great. Well, I think those are all of our questions, Bailey. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and answering all of our questions. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And we're here with Keith Lynham, who is currently the president of the Nevada Association of Realtors. He's been in this field for how long, Keith? It's been a while. I've been a realtor for 15 years and uh, pretty much active with the association from day one. So uh, about the, the same amount of time, 15 years. Absolutely. And we just found out that Keith has his own podcast. So I, do. I don't know, Keith, <laughs> you want to plug that one for the readers? <laughs> Google me and it'll come up. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So Keith has a lot of insight about the, the real estate market, I'm sure, and, and where things are going. It's a little bit of a scary time right now, right? I mean, we just saw, saw things taking a little bit of a, of a turn. I think it's normal. Okay. It's you're just getting back to a normal, which is scary, you mm-hmm. know. And here in, not, in Las Vegas, particularly, we just have never had a normal mm-hmm. market. It's always been going through the roof or through the floor, and you know, things going on nationally really have an impact on what we're doing here. But as far as we're we're looking at, it's you know, the Raider Stadium, all those things, the high construction jobs that are still here. We're still pretty pretty stable, but pretty pretty fortunate to be where we're at mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Well, I just bought a house in Carson City, so I'm. I'm at that point wondering, did I just buy at the peak of the market? And and should I be concerned if things are going down? Absolutely not. Okay, good. Well, we're here to talk about what was a big issue for you guys in the 2019 session, and that is largely SB 151. This is a bill that was put forth by, was it Julia Ratty, Mm -hmm. to try to sort of alter the eviction process the way that proponents describe it is kind of bringing some balance back toward the tenant side of things. But this was pretty heavily opposed, especially towards the end, by the realtors, um, kind of in its final version. So first of all, I understand that you guys were initially neutral on the version of the bill. What were the terms that you were okay with? There wasn't anything that was just so harmful to the landlord um, that it would prevent us uh, or give us cause to 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 uh, oppose the bill, and so just a, an overall, we were okay with it. Um, we would not have drafted it, but we were okay with the bill. And we've discussed this in the previous segment um, what that bill was about. Uh, it's not changing our process from being what we have now, which is summary eviction, but it's extending some timelines for people as this paperwork basically is filed and the, the process before the the person is actually kicked out by the constable or the police so it, it adds some more hours and days to that to that timeline um, but of course towards the end the bill that you guys did not like right was um, was sort of some of its provisions were melded into to SB 151 ramrodded um, you know, under the darkness of night. And, and, you know, here's the defense I've heard is, well, it, it happens all the time. Well, it doesn't make a right. I mean, th- that's just telling me that, well, as long as I do things wrong consistently, it's going to be right in the end. And it's just not. That bill that we're talking about is SB 256, which, which you know, and again, I think we need to step back a year previous to the beginning of the session. We went in good faith and negotiated with the proponents of the of, of 256 and 151. And we said, here are some of the things that we just cannot abide by. We cannot allow to happen to the Nevada homeowner and, frankly, the Nevada tenant. And, 
Here's another thing I think we need to throw out there is that realtors, we've been accused of all kinds of things, you know, greedy, we're doing this because of that, and, you know, we're trying to line our pockets. Well, we represent both sides of this argument. We represent the Nevada homeowner, and we also represent the Nevada tenant. And so we need to be concerned about both ends of this, unlike anybody else. The proponents are only concerned about the tenant, and that's fine. That's what they do, and they do it well. Barbara Buckley, a legal aide, is someone that I respect immensely and has been doing this for a very long time. I think we need to have some recognition of defending both sides of this of this issue. And so a long answer, but coming to the point of we went in there protecting both tenant and Nevada homeowner, and we strongly feel that we need to separate the multifamily, the big apartment complexes from this issue. And we've been dealing this with this for over 20 years and we continue to come back with the same issues and the same problems come back uh, to the forefront. Tell me about that. You said you want to separate the multifamily debate out of this. What, what do you mean by that? You know, when we hear all these horror stories that are coming in there, I ask, is this a single family? Because we know this. We know the one thing that we know to hold true, that the, the, the Nevada homeowner, the one that has just moved up or moved down in their home and was able to keep on to their old home and rent it out to a Nevada working family, we know one thing. They lose money the second that tenant is gone. And so we know that our clients, the Nevada homeowner, will do most anything to keep that tenant in there. They'll work with them. As an example, if their paycheck comes in on a third, like a lot of government checks do, the Social Security and those kinds of things, and their rent's due on the first, they're not going to charge them a late fee because that's pre-adorned and it's already talked about. And our Nevada homeowner will work with them to do that, and they have. If they have a flat tire, they can't get to work, anything that comes up, that Nevada homeowner is going to work with that tenant. And so we have felt strongly from the beginning that it, we're talking about the, the multifamily big units that don't have that personal touch. We think there's, there's, there needs to be a separation of the two. The proponents know that because I've told them that personally. But we've also talked about that for years. Yeah, and I think we've all sort of experienced that giant company based out of state that's managing who knows how many properties. And there's not really any give or any, you know, kind of personal touch going on there um, when you have an issue going on. So I, I think we've we've lived that. Keith, maybe it'd, it'd be helpful if you can tell us, I know you guys had a very strong presence. I remember you guys ran um, ads and had sort of this campaign against SB 256 throughout the session, and that bill mm-hmm. died on the assembly after it passed out of the Senate. Did you have any sort of heads up or notice that there was provisions sort of being resurrected and zombified into SB 151 before the last day, or did you just find out alongside everyone else um, that that was kind of coming back on the final 24 hours? I'm writing zombified down. That may come up, Riley. So thank you for the copyright. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, a couple of things that I think is very key. Yes, we 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 did um, strongly oppose 256, and when it hit the assembly, the assembly by and large shared our concerns, and, and I think that's key. They they shared the concerns that we brought forth, and so that bill didn't get a hearing, um, didn't move forward. Can we um, talk? We're throwing a few numbers around. So SB 256, SB 256. was yeah. what was in that bill. That was the original bill by Senator Ivana Kinsella. That's the one that had the uh, the caps on late fees. Uh, but what was else in that? Yeah, caps on late fees. They they wanted to elevate uh, those that receive government uh, benefits payments um, to protected class. So they were putting them with race, color, you know, handicap, the LBGG, all of those things. They were trying to put them in the same class. Uh, and there were some other things in there too. 
151 dealt more with timelines, and that's why we would negotiate in good faith with that one, with both of them. Um, but I think the key is 256, SB 256 was so draconian that the assembly agreed with us, and, and, and they shut that down. So then you come to this midnight thing. The conference report was already written, and it was already ready to be signed. There was nothing we could do. We had some outreach from some of the assembly leadership, but it was nothing that was going to go anywhere because of all the threats and the bullying from the Senate side. And for those that haven't been up in the legislative session, this kind of uh, things, all rules sort of go out the window on the final day or two. And and so we do hear a lot of things getting sort of uh, folded in, maybe things that died and maybe, you know, I mean, sometimes it's probably just easier to to bring it back through a late night amendment than kind of push it through a politically difficult process. So so we saw that with a couple bills going forward. In this case, what happened was um, we had SB 151, which was the, the, the bill you guys were okay with, was changing timelines on evictions. Now it has the provisions of this other bill, which are the cap on uh, late fees. So late fees cannot be more than 5% of the rent. So now that's monthly rent. Is that correct? Uh, um, correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's a definition of rent, but yes, simplified terms, monthly rent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then the other provision was time to, to retrieve possessions. Was that, was that, mm-hmm. is that correct, correct? Keith, you've, in the preceding months, <laughs> you have, well, in, in the months that have followed the session, you have written some op-eds about this. I have to give a credit to Michael Scott Davidson at the Review Journal. He's written about some things that he's seen since uh, the passage of the bill that have Mm -hmm. included property management companies sending notices to their people and saying, uh, we're moving the timeline. You're no longer having a grace period that goes till the third, um, but now you're having a grace period maybe that goes till the first or, you know, just kind of the grace period goes away. Um, Of course, this has been a concern for people that are getting social security checks like on the first two to three days of the month um, that just don't have money in the bank and, and are going to get, um, you know, this huge late fee because because of the timelines there. You wrote, I believe, on August 3rd in the Review Journal, though, that you said, I told you so. Exactly. And we <laughs> Tell did. Tell me a little bit more about that. We told them two things. First of all, we were one of the first that came up and said, you know what, these are, again, the, the, the letters that went out were all where? They were all in big apartment complexes. Uh, we were the one of the first to say, "Look, this is you know, you're changing a lease in midstream. That's that's not really going to fly." But we also understand that in order to let that get to the forefront of a courtroom, you're going to have to have someone push that to the courtroom. So, thankfully, these big uh, multi multi unit uh, apartment complexes kind of reeled that back in a little bit. But the message is, we told you so. We told them that security deposits were going to go up. That harms the Nevada tenant. We told them that timelines were going to get tightened by everyone that harms the Nevada tenant. We told them that when you when you put these these uh, restrictions on a Nevada homeowner, you are going to lessen the likelihood that they're going to keep their home on the market for rent. They're just going to sell it. That's harmful for the Nevada tenant. At some point in time, you're going to drive out single-family residents from ever renting out their home when you start to put all these things in. I can only imagine if 256 would have been put into place. We had had people that were investors that were mom and pops. You know, I think that's something that gets lost in the shuffle too. Not every investor, not every landlord is a multi-million dollar person. There are a lot of times just as susceptible to the financial strengths that any of us are. They get sick, they're going to have trouble, but they've got two mortgages now that they need to pay. 
So we wanted to make sure that we said what we were trying to get across anyway was that when you put these restrictions on single-family people, you're going to lessen those amount of homes that are – you're going to take out the homes that are available for rent, and that hurts the Nevada tenant. And, of course, the criticism is that these people are just using the law as a cover to do things that might be harmful for the tenants. So so change these deadlines, uh, trying to get away with certain things and, and use the guise of that law and say the law did that um, when there may or may not be any connection to the law. What do you say to the, the criticism of that behavior? You know, it, it's that's a two-way street. Uh, because there's also those that abuse it from the tenant side. Are there bad uh, landlords? Absolutely. Are there bad tenants? Absolutely. Again, we represent and recognize both sides of that. I have yet to hear anyone that's been a proponent in any of these say what I just said, that we've got bad tenants too. And I will tell you, and I'll say it again in case they didn't hear it, we do have bad landlords out there. We are doing our best to get them out of the market. You haven't heard them say anything about bad tenants. Some of the tenants that are there will abuse this as well. We've got horror story after horror story that we would have had been able to, had they been offered the chance to testify in Carson City, instead of being shut out, we could have had those stories been told too. Well, we're about out of time now. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Keith, and uh, giving us the realtor's perspective on this SBA 151. Thanks for having me as always. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing, Riley? Doing well. I'm here to ask you about the story that you published this Sunday along with our uh, intrepid, now former indie turn, uh, Trey. Uh, The headline was, State Taking Action to Confront Opioid Crisis, But Is It Making a Difference? So you and Trey uh, both covered this opioid conference uh, that happened in Las Vegas last week. Can you tell me a little bit about who was involved and kind of why it was convened? Well, since about 2016, the state has been holding these big summits where they bring together people from all over the state and try to talk about how the state's going to address the opioid epidemic, whether that be, you know, doctors over prescribing or people on heroin or or dangerous drugs kind of making their way on the I-80, all this kind of stuff. So um, I covered the one in 2017 and this uh, 2019 version came up and I was interested to see how has everything that we've seen playing on the legislature um, and all the things that we talked about in 2017, have those borne fruit at this point or are we sort of just treading water on this if issue of opioid addiction? Mm-hmm. We you know, always hear a lot about the opioid crisis or dealing with the opioid crisis. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between opioids and other sorts of drugs and then how Nevada fares nationally when it comes to uh, the population of people who might be overprescribed or addicted to opioids? Well, opioids get a lot of attention because they're so deadly. And I think that a lot of folks have, uh, you know, just had people with a pretty normal fam- family life. Um, a lot of times athletes get an injury and their kids get addicted to opioids and it just is a cycle they can't break out of. And then a lot of times it ends in death. Um, so it can be a really devastating thing that can... Um, you know, just happen to anybody that has an injury or or surgery or something like that. Of course, that's not to diminish issues that Nevada has with a lot of other drugs, such as meth. It's just, you know, going on in the background and people, you know, it's maybe not getting as much attention as the opioid crisis. But in terms of the opioid crisis, we've seen a lot of lawsuits because it's big money behind these powerful painkillers. And so there's a lot of, I think, people see opportunity there to, to get 
money out of tons of opioid companies that have sort of been involved in the manufacturing process. Yeah, it's like there's never been a legal version of meth you can buy at the pharmacy, but you can go buy Oxycontin or get prescribed that. Um, When it comes to this conference in particular, it's interesting because there were a lot of laws passed in 2015 and 2017 under former Governor Brian Sandoval that tried to deal with the opioid crisis. Can you go over what some of these like tools that were put in place back then and how they've worked over the last two, three, four years? So there's a thing called the Prescription Drug Monitoring System, and it's been around since 1997, but it hasn't been used in a widespread fashion until it was mandated, you know, in 2015 and 2017 were bills passed that required all doctors to use it. Um, You know, licensing boards could get involved if someone was misusing this. So it's just become a lot more used. I believe Governor Sisolak said that in, you know, a four to five year period, there's been a fivefold increase in the amount of times the doctors are using this prescription drug monitoring database to, to see if someone that they're seeing has gone to another doctor the other day um, and got a huge, you know, month long supply of opioids and is just using them um, to get another prescription opioid. Um, So we've seen a a huge increase in that, partially because the state legislature has mandated more checking of this, more more things doctors need to do before they uh, give a prescription. So we've actually seen the number of prescriptions go down. I think it was about 75 per 100 Nevada residents. So 75 prescriptions were written each year per 100 residents, and now it's down to 52. Um, but you think, you know, you got 3 million residents. That's that's pretty darn close to, to 3 million opioid prescriptions, a prescription per person. So there's a lot of, of these prescriptions out there. Mm-hmm. And your, your story makes it very clear that the number of opioid-related overdose deaths have decreased over uh, the last two, three years. I think it went from like 400-something to 300-something. But one of the concerns at this conference was this – idea of a coming third wave. Can you explain what the third wave is and what the state is trying to do to address that? Yeah, you're seeing um, people that uh, were on kind of more normal opioids, you know, that I think we're talking about like the hydrocodone and the hydromorphone, stuff like that. But then you see these really very deadly opioids um, that can easily be tainted and, and, and be super deadly and, and, you know, fentanyl and carfentanil, these kinds of things. So um, you're just seeing this huge curve upward na- nationwide of the kind of availability and the deaths from these. So I think that the issue is that they're just so, so deadly. They're so easy to, to overdose on. Um, and then they're coming in through the illegal market um, and, and they could easily create this third wave that uh, the state is going to be dealing with. Okay. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks so much, Riley. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Indie Matters. If you like the podcast, rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, topic ideas, or just want to compliment us, you can email me at joey at com. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please reach out to editors at com. Also, if you're enjoying our work and are not yet a member of our nonprofit adventure in news, please become an indie member by visiting the Support Our Work page on the website. I'd like to thank Bailey and Keith for being on today, as well as Riley and Michelle. Again, our brand new theme song is by Reno band People With Bodies. If you'd like, you can check out the rest of their stuff on their Instagram, Facebook page, or their Bandcamp. I'm Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>